Hello and welcome to an Asia Gaming Brief podcast. My name is Felix Ng and today I'm joined by Keith White, Executive Director of the National Council on Problem Gambling based in Washington, D.C. in USA. I reached out to Keith as I wanted to get his thoughts on the so-called foreigner-only casino policies that have been adopted across quite a few Asian countries over the many, many years and it's supposedly to reduce gambling harm amongst its citizens. So I'm keen to hear Keith's thoughts as to how effective this type of policy is to reduce the social and financial harm that comes with problem gambling. Um, or are we just simply forcing the problem across the border um, or through the internet out of sight, out of mind? Keith is one of the most widely respected experts in the field of problem gambling. And having been with the NCPG since 1998, he's written numerous articles and studies on gaming issues. And I'm hoping to get some of his perspectives on this subject. Keith? Welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Felix, for having me. So the foreign-only approach to casinos, it's, I, I see it a lot in Asia, but I think you mentioned that uh, you know, it, it actually is um, elsewhere in the world as well. But I guess the main question is, is it effective in stopping gambling harm? Well, I think, as you said, it both can be seen as driving the problem across the border or driving the problem underground. In either way, a foreigners-only approach can lead at times to the, the host country government ignoring or minimizing gambling problems in, in, in their own society because they assume that uh, the problems have, have gone elsewhere or, in, in, the, in, in some cases, has been driven underground. So that contributes sometimes to, to, a, to a public health uh, policy that is atrophied uh, because there's the perception that, uh, of course, gambling addiction isn't here. And, uh, and I think that can sometimes have some, some negative impacts. There are, um, I'm just thinking of, of, of three places uh, just off the top of my, my mind that have uh, this foreign-only uh, casino policy. So you have South Korea, um, you have Nepal, uh, and Vietnam. And I, and I think in a lot of cases, you see these citizens en masse traveling to other countries. Sometimes it could just be a skip and hop across the border. Um, maybe in South Korea's case, a lot of them end up going to the Philippines. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, they're gambling. And, and what I'm thinking is when you're a tourist and you're going into uh, another country uh, for the purpose of gambling, would it be likely that you're gambling more because you've got this pent up demand, you haven't been able to gamble for so long. And so now you've taken this trip and you're like, oh, I'm going to bring like all my money in, and gamble. We certainly think there can be a binge effect. You know, if you have all this uh, pent up demand, uh, on a, on a, on an individual level, you know the, the individual is you know, eager, desperate to gamble. If they're so interested in gambling that they are willing to travel across the border and spend that money and, and do everything they have to do, um, that you know that means there's there's a lot of pent up demand there, and they may blow it all out because they've only got a weekend, you know, mm. to, to to get in to get in their game. Um, it, it rarely, I think, leads to moderation. And mm. so the the people, though, of course, you you bring your problems back with you home. And as right. there's more and more Asian countries who have uh, domestic availability of casinos or other forms of gambling, both legal, such as the lottery or illegal, you know, online, uh, it means that, uh, that that addiction that was always still present in society uh, now becomes uh, perhaps even a little bit greater because you're, you're coming back with your gambling problem to your home country, but that doesn't mean you've stopped your gambling or you've stopped mm. your addiction. Right. And so that's when you kind of maybe move into some illegal underground channels yes. to gamble. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that's definitely concerning. The whole point of it, of these, these policies was 
to minimize the harm. But now we're actually just we're driving them into places that potentially they're not being monitored um, and and they're not receiving the right amount of help from governments. In in the example of South Korea, like there, there is actually you know I say it was foreign only, but there is one casino um, that we know of that there's Kangwon Land that does allow locals to to gamble there. It is in a very remote mountainous region. And, I, and I'm guessing, you know, they, they put it in that region because it's not something that you can just come off work at the end of the day and go for a gamble. Like it's, it's, it's something you'd probably have to do on the weekend or you'd have to take some time off. What's your thoughts on that? And do you, do you think that that is an effective way? Well, it's, it, there are some features that, that by limiting accessibility, uh, you, you may, uh, at, a, at a surface level, you may try and minimize problems. You know, if you make it harder for people to get there or if you put limits, for example, an entry fee levy like they have in Singapore, or, you know, you remove even ATM machines from the casino floor. These are all measures that are designed to make it a little bit harder for people to gamble. But of course, the more more likely you are to have a gambling addiction, the less those features matter. You know, gamblers and addicts will always find a way. So then they seem seem fairly uh, ineffective at really reducing gambling addiction. They may paradoxically reduce recreational gambling because people mm. who don't have that thirst, that desire to gamble, those simple barriers that are erected may may prevent them from taking the three-hour train ride up to Kangwon Land. But mm. someone who is someone who is an avid gambler, and especially someone who's an addicted gambler, uh, may hop on that train at, at every opportunity. And so some of these some of these structural or physical barriers. Um, may not be as effective and it's it's important to remember las vegas is surrounded by a desert you know macau is an island atlantic city is an island so there's been a long history in almost every society of trying to physically isolate gambling partly because it was seen as so attractive that people Hmm. would do anything to get there partly because it was seen as as undesirable so these casinos were often placed in remote or inaccessible locations, you know, surrounded by a body of water, and it is a means of, of maybe protecting the rest of the population from the from the you know undue or evil influence, if you will, of, of gambling. Mm. But now, of course, with modern transportation and and of course modern technology, those old physical barriers are increasingly increasingly ineffective at protecting either the gambler themselves or the community at large. Yeah. And is there a kind of an aspect of, well, since I'm here, I might as well make the use of the most of my time and, you know, like at least in yeah. Singapore's case, right, they have to pay an entry fee to go in. Well, I'm already down 100 um, sing, right? So I might as well try and win my money back. I might as well spend the whole day here because I've, I've already paid $100. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of money to, to get in there. Yeah, I, I guess maybe just moving on to that, that Singapore yeah. case. Um, Japan is looking to to adopt possibly a similar model. What's your thoughts on on that kind of middle ground? Where yes, locals can go in, uh, they do have to pay a fee, and, and maybe they, I think I think also if you're on welfare or you're receiving government help, you you're also barred from uh, playing at the casino. Um, but you know, is that kind of the the golden standard that that we should be looking at? And we I've been lucky enough to be able to advise both the government of Singapore and the government of Japan on, on their casino policy. And the one thing that's very important to note is that an entry levy for, for locals uh, is not a responsible gambling feature, you know, i.e. it's not intended to deter gambling addiction. Uh, it is, there are lots of policy reasons why governments would adopt this, this entry levy, uh, but it is uh, to dissuade um, casual gamblers, you know, it's to, mm. to, to dissuade uh, people from, um, you know, who, who aren't 
serious gamblers. Because of course, the, the more serious a gambler, the more uh, potentially addicted a gambler, the less salient uh, an entry fee is. You know, people with gambling addiction are not price sensitive at all. Mm. Uh, you know, people, and so the, the, the further you progress towards a gambling addiction, the less price sensitive you were. And it's, it's, it's almost, there's almost a reverse effect or a revenge effect and that people with a gambling addiction will end up paying that levy many, many, many times over and over again. I wouldn't call it a tax on people with gambling problems, but it has in some ways an, an, that impact. Um, mm. You know, and this is an unintended effect, of course, of an entry levy. So when you, when you look at preventing gambling addiction, an entry levy is not effective. Um, there are other reasons why governments may have an entry levy, and that may there, there's you know, there's lots of um, uh, justification for that for other reasons, but not necessarily to curb um, gambling addiction. Could it be possible that if you're curbing the casual gamblers or the recreational gamblers, that you you know they don't have the chance to become problem gamblers because you, they just they haven't even built up the habits in the first place? I mean, could that be Absol- a reason? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the entry levy may well discourage people from uh, going to the casino in the first place. And those are people who are, are at much lower risk. But certainly, if you, if you reduce the number of, of people who gamble, you're, you're likely reducing uh, the amount of people who may develop a gambling problem in the future. Mm. The, the entry levies are, are much less effective for people who have already initiated their gambling, uh, and especially, again, people who are progressing on that path to, to developing addiction. There's, there, there are a lot of ways to uh, additionally to deter uh, gambling addiction development. And so th- these, these are policies that are much more common around, um, for example, alcohol, where you would do youth education, you do a lot of awareness training. And so, you know, relying on, um, you know, measures at the point of entry to the casino uh, it is, is, you know, unlikely to be very effective for, for people who have serious problems. It's, it's really when you pull the lens back, if you will, and you start to look at a broader public health approach, uh, those, those, those policies are likely to be much more effective in deterring gambling addiction on a societal uh, level. Mm. It, we, we obviously come from markets, uh, you know, me, me in Australia, you in the US, where, you know, locals, locals can come in, we can gamble. Um, and there are, I mean, at least in Australia's case, and I'm sure for the US, there are a, a lot of programs designed to uh, monitor and make sure people are not uh, experiencing harm. And if they are, then, you know, there's ways to help them. Um, I don't see this as much in Asia. Like I, I see obviously a, a self-exclusion program in the Philippines. I think they added about 200 in the last year, um, which doesn't seem like a very uh, large number uh, for the amount of people that are there. But I, I guess, you know, the question is, if more and more countries, especially in Asia, are now considering allowing locals into into casinos. I mean, Japan's thinking about it as well. Um, what would be your kind of golden ticket, your, your solution uh, for the model that, that they should be adopting? I do think the Singapore approach is an excellent model. It is a broad public health campaign that is also coupled with aggressive responsible gambling regulation for the casinos. Um, you know, and, and so I, I believe Japan is going to adopt a very similar model uh, in that uh, they're, they're not going to place too much reliance on the entry levy. They're going to place a lot more reliance on, on broad public health campaigns and strict responsible gambling measures regarding things like credit, regarding things like employee training. You know, I think there's going to be uh, a lot of um, apps and technological solutions uh, in, in the Japan-facing market especially. Uh, and so this is, 
this is that that modern balanced approach where you have uh, you're, you're trying to talk to everybody on a public basis to try to raise awareness that gambling addiction is uh, preventable and treatable. And then for those who choose to gamble, you have a comprehensive set of protections that the casino is required to offer, including limit setting and, as you mentioned, self-exclusion, employee training and other features that are designed to minimize harm. And these two, these two, these, the problem gambling, the public health problem gambling approach works hand in glove with the responsible um, gambling approach. Uh, and I think that is one of the reasons why you're seeing it now in some of these newer jurisdictions is that there is less stigma now about gambling. And, mm-hmm. and that, as, as, as you said at the start, having a foreigners only gambling policy implies uh, that, that it's, it's not safe or it's not okay for, for our citizens to gamble. And so, you know, perhaps it's not really much of a public health approach because it's, it's, you know, it's seen as, as a little bit taboo. Now that those foreigners only policies are changing, now that people across Asia have more um, exposure to gambling in their own countries, uh, we hope that it, that that public health approach will follow, you know, so now there will be a little bit more permission, a little bit more discussion to talk about gambling addiction, to talk about it openly, remove some of that shame and stigma, and also to make sure that um, you're protecting, you're putting responsible gambling measures into place. Because again, if you are a country that only allows foreigners to gamble in your casinos, you might not have very good responsible gambling measures in place because- You, never, you don't need tourists, them for foreigners, yeah, right? Yeah. They go back home. And, hmm. and, and this was, and, and again, there's historical precedent, you know, in, in Las Vegas uh, for most of its history, uh, there were very few responsible gambling measures in place because the at- attitude was these people are going to come and then leave their money and they'll, they'll go back home and they take their problems with them. Uh, now Las Vegas, uh, up to 30% of their revenue comes from the locals market and they're much more conscious about the mm-hmm. negative impacts of problem gambling because it stays home in their own, own community. But look, Keith, uh, that's actually all the questions that I I wanted to run by with you. I thought it was a very insightful discussion. And I think for Asia, there's a a lot more, there's still a a little bit of work to do in terms of getting governments to actually start talking about gambling and gambling addiction. I I think for a lot of parts in Asia, it's still, as you say, a taboo subject. Uh, It's something that it's pretty much political suicide if you're going to bring casinos into your your locale. Um, But I, I do see this changing. So um, I, I, I'm in, interested to see, you know, kind of how things progress uh, within Asia. Uh, and I think that perhaps we can look at Las Vegas and we can look at uh, Australia and other countries uh, throughout Europe to see kind of how they do it um, and, and try to figure out, you know, how can we minimize the harm to our citizens whilst maximizing the financial pros of having uh, a casino and a resort's business? Absolutely. It's striking that balance. Uh, I, I would say you can't maximize revenue unless you minimize costs, because at the end of the day, the costs of gambling addiction uh, are going to be borne by, by not just the individuals and their families, of course, but also by the community, the society at large. You know, bankruptcy and addiction and crime costs fall on government as well. And so it makes sense as we think about a more modern, uh, sustainable gambling policy to have a little bit more active discussion about those costs and benefits. When it's only foreigners, when it's only someone who's not like you, you know, that, that, that discussion maybe gets a little out of balance. But now I think there's an opportunity to, 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 to look at it in a more holistic way. And again, as much as th- there are lessons to be learned all around the world, you know, we look at Singapore as a leader. I think Japan is going to do some very interesting things. And that will influence, especially these global multinational companies, uh, you know, who have a great program perhaps in Australia, 
you know, and can they bring it into a new jurisdiction and, and adapt to that culture? So I think it's, it's a fascinating time in our industry. It's a fascinating time to think about uh, where responsible gaming and, and problem gambling are, are going. And it's, uh, it's great to be able to have this discussion with you, Felix. I truly appreciate uh, you and, and Asian Gaming Brief and, and, and covering and keeping up with this issue. Well, thanks again for your time, Keith. And I hope to talk to you about some of these more issues a little bit more in the future. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.